All right, well, this morning we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And this is the, the fourth in the series. And this morning I want to talk to you about, as, as a people, that we are a people who love and honor one another. And this is so incredibly important in the body of Christ because we, we tend as people to have a tendency to not honor one another, but we have a tendency to, to put people down when they're not around. We have a tendency to, to look at people's flaws and we, we judge people based on their flaws, not based on, on their successes. Or more importantly, as we look at today, we should be looking at people and judging them based on what Christ has done in them. How we behave in the body of Christ is mentioned an incredible amount of times in the Bible. You'll see it scripture after scripture. And if I used every scripture today on how we're supposed to interact with the body of Christ today, we'd be preaching until midnight. But this is something that's important to God. It is important to God that we treat one another in an honoring manner, that we lift each other up, that we encourage one another, that we treat each other in a godly way. But I think what happens is, especially in the church, is we tend to forget how to act when we're close to people. And you notice this the most, and you've probably seen it in your own life, with the people that are in your, your biological family. First off, who can make you madder than your sister or your brother? Because they know right where to stick it, right where to twist. Or maybe your parents. And we tend to get so upset by them. But the reason is, is a lot of times... They treat us, and we treat them much differently than we treat somebody we just met off the street or one of our friends. And the reason being is we have this idea in, the, in our head that it's unconditional love, so I can get away with a whole lot more than I would if it were somebody that I had just met or somebody that I was an acquaintance with. And we tend to try to get away with stuff that we would never try with somebody else. And you could probably think back in your own life and some of the things you might do with your spouse, some of the things you might do with your, your parents or your brothers or your sisters, the way that you treat them and go, wait a minute, that's totally right. I, te- I treat them differently than I would treat other people. I'm much more harsh. I'm much more abrasive. I'm much more condescending and judgmental and critical. And it happens in the body of Christ like that too because we know that we're close and we're, we're family and we love one another and we know that we can treat each other and get away with a little bit more than somebody we just met. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be, be careful that we don't fall into that trap, that we don't fall into that same way of acting. And truthfully, in your biological family, you should probably take a look at it too. You see, the thing is, is that we tend to hold people to a higher standard when they are Christians, even higher than we hold ourselves. Now don't get me wrong, as, as Christians, we need to be living a godly life. We need to be living in such a way that is honoring and pleasing to God and that we're not dragging His name through the mud. But, have you noticed in the church we tend to shoot our wounded? And I thank God we haven't seen any of that here. We're, we're still small. Don't worry, we'll grow and we'll get to see all kinds of stuff we don't want to see. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that for this church. I'm claiming for things going, going well. But the, ch- the problem is, is that you know who goes to the church? People like you and me. With all that brings. But I'm, you know, I'm proclaiming today harmony as we grow. <laughs> I'm proclaiming people loving one another. And we need to be careful that we don't ever become a church that shoots our wounded. When somebody messes up, we ostracize them or we turn our back on them. As we'll see today, what we should be doing is lifting them up and encouraging them and helping to redeem them instead of turning our back on them and shoving them out the door as long as they're willing to continue to try to grow. 
And we need to recognize that how we interact with one another impacts how effective we are in this world. It impacts how effective we can be when we're ministering to the lost. Because when people look at the church and it looks just like the rest of the world, why would they want to go somewhere like that? Oh, next one. <laughs> um, the first script I want to look at today is, is in Matthew 10, 40-41. And this one it says, in verse 40, it says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. The first thing I want to point out is, is how we receive people is going to impact the ability they have to, to touch our lives. How you receive somebody impacts how you receive from somebody. And how many know that we're all going to be receiving stuff from each other in this room? We're going to be receiving love. We're going to be receiving um, discipleship in many cases. We're going to be growing from people. We're going to be receiving leadership. And how you, how you receive somebody, in this case, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. It means how you're accepting them is what you receive from them. So let me give you a silly example to show you what, what that means. So if you have an AC repairman come to your house because you need to get your AC fixed, and you call the AC repairman and he comes and you welcome in him in as an AC repairman, he's going to come out and work on your AC and he's going to fix your AC, right? That all makes sense. But how many of you know that if you need your AC fixed and you call the plumber, and the plumber shows up and you receive him as an AC repairman, things aren't going to work out quite right. You're not going to get what you bargained for. If you're, if you're receiving him as something that he's not, you can't receive what his, his gifts and abilities actually are. One of the, the greatest areas in my life that I saw this happen was when I was a, a young kid. I was going to my, uh, my, my friend's dad was the pastor. And I thought I was real clever. I, I was really righteous myself, you know, and, and I was just going to call the pastor by his first name. And that's what we did. And actually, a lot of people in the church did. It was rather unfortunate, especially now as I've grown and learned. But, you know, the truth is that, that in Christ, we're all equal. But at the same time, we all have different callings on our lives. We all have different abilities, and, and those make an impact on how we interact with one another. But I would just call him Brent. I didn't call him Pastor Brent most of the time. And I recognize now it's because I wasn't receiving him as my pastor. I was receiving him as my equal, as, as on the same level as me. I, I knew just as much as him. I was just as good as him. And, and the truth is that severely impacted what I was able to receive from him. Not because he didn't have what he needed to give me. He always had it. I just didn't accept it as what it was because I saw him as something else. You know, when you, when you call somebody pastor, it's... It's because you're ready to receive from them what they have. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. But how many know that if you receive a prophet in the name of a righteous man, you're going to miss the prophet's reward and only receive the righteous man's reward? And there's a difference. How we receive people, it doesn't affect them per se. How many know I probably didn't offend my pastor all that much? He didn't go home and lose sleep because, because Wayne wouldn't call him pastor. But what did I lose? 
because I didn't receive him how I should have. The next thing... It's not working. Next, please. Oh, sorry. I was... <laughs> Praise God. See, you totally messed me up now. I don't even know where I'm at. Go back to the first one. We're starting over. <laughs> the next thing we need to do is we need to, to honor our co-laborers in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, it says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very high in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all the people. You know, we are working together in the body of Christ, and we need to show honor and respect for one another as co-laborers in Christ. He says that we need to appreciate those who diligently labor among you. It's very easy to just take people that are with you for granted. And I would like to take this opportunity to everyone that's been co-laboring with me over this past year, that's been working with me to, to grow and impact this community. I want to say thank you, and I appreciate you very much. And I always will. And we need to make sure that we're doing that, that we're showing that appreciation to one another. We're honoring our, each other in that, in that manner as we, as we co-labor together to reach the city to make an impact for the kingdom of heaven. It says that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We're doing an incredibly important thing. There's a world out there that is lost and they're going to go to hell if we don't work together to, to tell them about the love of Christ. And what we're doing is very honorable and we should be honored for it. We need to appreciate one another and not just get along. You know, have you ever been to work with somebody and and you get along just because you have to. You don't really like them. You don't really appreciate them. You, you just don't fight because you want to get through your day. We need to be careful we're not taking that attitude with one another. But we're actually working together and appreciating and loving one another and looking at people for who they are in Christ and not who they are maybe in the world or the things that they've done. And he says, we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly. What that means is to, to, uh, to gently... Deal with stuff that's, that's not right. If somebody is, is doing the wrong thing, we need to, to admonish them. But that doesn't mean to, to uh, ostracize them. It doesn't mean to push them out. It doesn't mean to, to point at them and push them away. What does it say? Is to be patient with everyone. We're supposed to encourage the faint-hearted, help the work and be pa- weak and be patient with everyone. We're supposed to lift each other up. It doesn't mean that we, we're okay with sin and we're going to let that keep going. We're going to deal with that. But we're not going to do it in such a way that people feel condemned and pushed out, but that they're going to be reminded that in Christ they are free from what is holding them back. That they are, they are in Christ, that they are victorious. Everything that we do for one another should be completely out of love for one another. Because of the love that Christ has for us, that should be expressed in the love that we have for one another. And it says, see that no, one, that no one repays another with evil for evil, but seek always after that which is good for one another and for all the people. 
I think we have a tendency in this society with the, the an eye for an eye thing, you know. Or, or the big one is when somebody's doing something. You probably see this. I see this with my kids a lot. And actually with most people. But somebody's doing something and you go to talk to them and say, you know, you can't be doing that. But so-and-so's doing this. You know, we need to worry about what we're doing to one another. What we're, that we're making sure that we're not repaying evil for evil. We're not doing what somebody else is doing. We're not using somebody else's actions as an excuse for us to behave poorly. But that we're always honoring and loving one another. Next, please. Next, we need to honor our families. Colossians 3, 18-21 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We'll just stop there. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding. Don't you do it. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, children, be obedient to your parents. Children, be obedient in your parents. Be to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate your children, so they not, will not lose heart. You know, we need to show honor to one another in our family. You know, this year it says, wives be subject to your husbands. Probably one of the most misquoted and misused scriptures that any man has ever used against his wife on the planet. Subject does not mean to lord over them. But it's does not be subject to your husband does not mean to to let your husband lord something over you. It does not mean that he can be abusive to you. He can tell you what to do. That that he is the end all be all boss in your life. Because husband and wives are supposed to work together. But to be subject to your husband means to follow his leadership. To 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 let him be a leader in your life. To lead your family. To be a leader to your children. A spiritual father. A spiritual leader. And that's as wives, that's what we should be doing. Well, you should be doing, Zivit. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna get that's gonna get taken out of the recording. <laughs> as wives, that's what you should be doing. Praise God. In verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against him. So that's what I get for trying to think ahead of what I'm gonna say. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. What that means is, husbands, you need to be somebody that's worth following. You need to be the leader that your wife can be subject to. And it doesn't mean that you're better than them. It is, husbands are not better than their wives. It's just that, that God requires order. And you can't have too many, too many cooks in the kitchen when there's supposed to be order. But the truth is that, husbands, you need to be the man that your wife can follow without without disdain. You know, you need to be someone she can respect and look up to. See, the problem is, is wives go, well, I'll be subject to my husband when he starts, when he starts loving me. And husbands go, well, I'll start loving her when she's subject to me. But the problem is you're both wrong. Stop worrying about what somebody else is doing and you do the right thing. Honor your husband. Honor your wife. Children need to be honoring to their parents. And in the same way, Parents need to make sure that they're not exasperating their children. If all you do is criticize and lord over your children, you're not showing love and honor. You're not helping them grow. But let's be a people that is part of who we are. Let's be, show honor to one another in our families. Amen? 
Next, please. As a body, as the body of Christ, we need to recognize that we are one body. We're not a bunch of individuals with individual goals, and but we we have one vision for the church and one vision for the kingdom of God. But in First Corinthians twelve twenty five through twenty six, it says, "So that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it." And Romans twelve fifteen says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, in the world that we're living in today, you may have noticed it, but it's kind of an every man's out for themselves type thing right now. Everyone's looking out for number one, right? But in the body of Christ, that's not how it should be with us. Matter of fact, we should always be looking out for our neighbor, for our co-workers, for our co-laborers in Christ. We should always be looking to the other and lifting them up. You see, in the world, people are envious of those who succeed because they want it for themselves. But in the body of Christ, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. Those who are successful means that we're successful with them. And when people are going through rough times, most people are like, better you than me, and they walk their other way. They just ignore what's going on. But in the body of Christ, we hurt with one another because we love one another. When somebody else is hurting, we're all hurting. In the body of Christ, when somebody else gets promoted, we should rejoice with them. When somebody gets some sort of blessing in their life, we should rejoice with them. When somebody gets pregnant and they're having a baby, we need to rejoice with them. Instead of going, well, I don't have a baby. I don't, I don't want that. Why do they get a baby and not me? God must love them more than me. We need to be very careful that we're not having that kind of thinking in our life, but rather rejoicing with one another. I'm reminded of the story when, when Jesus went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And he shows up a few days after he had already, he'd already died and been buried. And, and uh, when he asked for the tomb to be opened, even the people were there like, he's been dead many days, he's going to be stinky. What do, you, what do you think in opening the tomb? And Jesus looks around and he sees everybody weeping and crying over Lazarus because he died. And the most amazing thing happens is the shortest scripture in the Bible, and it says, Jesus wept. And it's amazing to me because Jesus didn't all of a sudden have an aha moment afterwards going, Oh, I know, I'll raise him from the dead. Jesus knew from the beginning that he would be raising Lazarus from the dead. He knew that they would be rejoicing after. He knew that Lazarus wasn't completely dead, that he was going to bring him back, that he wasn't gone forever. Yet he still wept. And the reason he wept is because he looked around and the people around him, the people that he loved, the people that he was working with, that he was living alongside and walking alongside, they were hurting. Because Lazarus had died. Someone whom they knew and loved had died. They were hurting. And because of that, he was weeping with those who wept. And then we see, as we know the rest of the story, as he says, Lazarus, come, come forth. And Lazarus is risen from the dead and there's, there's rejoicing as someone they thought was lost is not lost. But the truth is that we need to 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 be with one another, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Because we're one unit, we're one body, and we should operate as one body. A successful one is a success, 
excess for the whole body. We can look at that in our, in our natural bodies, that if you, if you lose weight, if you lose some, some fat around your stomach, how many know your, your heart is better for it and the muscles in your legs are better for it? And the same thing goes in the body of Christ. When one of us has a success, the entire body is better for it. And the same thing is true that if a failure for one is a failure for the whole body. How many know that if, you're, if your eyes stop working, the chances of your, your toes getting stubbed goes through the roof? And in the same manner, when we're looking at the rest of the body, in our own personal body, we would never cut our foot off because we stubbed a toe. And we never cut our hand off because we had a hangnail. We need to make sure in the body of Christ that we're, we're not doing the same thing because somebody spiritually stubbed their toe or got a spiritual hangnail. We need to make sure that we're not cutting off the hand or the foot, but we're lifting them up. We're helping to heal them. We also need to be very careful that we're not separating ourselves from the church as well. Because like I said, we are one body. We work together. You know, many people leave church for the silliest of reasons. They stop going to a church because they get offended. Offense is probably the number one reason people leave the church. And, and as a people, we let ourselves get offended over the silliest things. But the truth is that offense is most often, more often received than it is given. And it's one of the things that can destroy a church more than anything else is people getting offended. Churches have split because people have got offended. People have left. And when people leave, the church gets weaker as their gifts, their talents, their abilities go along with them. We need to remember that we are one body and we're working together for the same goal. We also need to love one another. Oops. <laughs> we also need to love one another. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And in John 15, 12 through 13, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. This is Jesus speaking. See, the funny thing is, in our society, love is this overused, underrated word. I mean, how many of us love pizza? We use the word very flippantly in our society. When we use love most of the time, oh, I love my car. I love this. I love that. It means we just really like it a lot. But the kind of love that's being talked about here isn't that kind of love. When we say we want a lover, <laughs> want a lover, one... <laughs> We love one another. <laughs> Praise God. When we say we <laughs> when we say we love one another, it should not be in the same way that we say we love a burrito. It should be a different kind of love. The Bible, the, the word, the Greek word in the Bible is, is, is called agape. It's agape love. It's a it's a God love. It's a self-sacrificing love. That's the love that we should have for one another. The same love that God loves us with is the same love that we should have for one another. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, used the agape love to describe what he believed was the highest level of love known to humanity, a selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of the other. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. 
love that is expressed in every aspect of our lives as we, as we interact with one another. And people should be able to see it. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People should be able to know who we are by how we treat other people. When I was in the army, when I went to basic training, they told us that once you get out, people will know that you're soldiers. You can tell by the way that you walk, by the way that your, your hair is cut. By the, there's, you don't have to be in uniform for, to, to know someone's a soldier. And, and we all experience that here. We live right by Davis Monthan or not too far. How many of you know when you see a soldier in the store, you can just tell their hair is cut a certain way, they, they walk a certain way. They're, there's just something different about them. And the same should be true for us as Christians, as, as soldiers in the Lord's army. We should be different. When people walk by us, they'd be like, I think you just got some love on me. Every time that we touch somebody, there should be love expressed. And this love is the very nature of God. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is the love that we should have one another, for one another. Next, please. So when we're looking at people, we ask ourselves, well, why should I love them? I mean, do you know what they've done? Why should I love them? So the first thing we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about why we should love other people is one is because of who he is, because of who Jesus is. Colossians 3, 12 through 16 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We love one another because of who Christ is. It says right here that, that we forgive each other, just as the Lord forgave you. Because of who God is, that's why we should love one another, treat people the way that, that we should, to treat them in a godly manner. It says here that we should have the, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Because Christ had peace, we have it, and we express that towards others. That we should have the words of Christ richly dwelling within us. We should speak the same words that Christ spoke to one another. And it says that with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Like I said earlier, to admonish is to caution, to advise, to counsel someone, especially in a mild or good, good-willed manner. You know, as, as people who love one another, that's how we should be treating one another. We should be encouraging one another. We should, and we've seen it in multiple scriptures to admonish one another, to, to lift each other up. But we're supposed to do it with Christ's love inside of us, with his wisdom, with his words, with his peace inside of us is how we're supposed to do this. And it says we do it with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. As we're thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do this in such a way not to bring them down, but to lift them up. Next, please. Next, please. Did you? Oh, sorry. It looks the same up there. <laughs> You're like the wind over there. <clears throat> Next, we need to be 
treating people like it's because of who we are in Christ. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 says, But now you also, putting them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You know, this whole first line here, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, that's how the world acts to one another. As Christians, we should look different than the world. And the worst part, the funny thing is this, this list. <laughs> I just said the funny thing, and all I can think of is Joseph in Bible scene going, the funny thing, well, it's not actually funny, but... <laughs> uh, Praise God. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. These are like layered on top of each other. Each one is worse than the last. You see, wrath is just an intense anger. First we start with anger and it, and it progresses to wrath, which is a very intense anger. And then we get to malice. Malice is that intense anger, but with a desire to harm somebody. Slander and abusive speech. Those are the things we do to harm one another. That's the thing that, though, not we do, but the world does to, to harm one another. And this is what the world looks like. But as Christians, this is not who we should look like because he says right here that we laid aside our old self with its evil practices. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. And that's what it's talking about here. Put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Put on your new self, which is the image of Jesus Christ. You are brand new in Christ. Because you're a new person, because Christ has made you brand new, you have a new spirit inside of you. You have the ability to love. And people can say, I mean, you know, I'm just not really a loving person. This just isn't who I am. You know, that may have been true at one point. But the fact of the matter remains that when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you were made a brand new person. You're not who you used to be. And now you have the love of Christ inside of you and you can express that towards others. This is who we are, brand new people. And it should be expressed in every, every action that we do towards one another. The next one, please. Did you already go? Just me looking at you. I didn't even say it yet. How'd you know to go to the next one? <laughs> and the next one, I fixed it in everyone but the one I put up here. I changed this title to because of who they are. The next thing we need to understand is, is that when we decide whether we need to be loving to one another, first it's because of who Christ is, second because of who we are, but next it's because of who they are in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.16 it says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. The Bible says that we're not to, to recognize each other according to the flesh, but we're supposed to recognize each other as we recognize Christ in the Spirit. Recognize people as Christ living inside of them. You know, it's easy to love somebody when you recognize their value. If you don't think somebody is valuable, 
You're not going to want to express that love. You're not going to want to, to love them. But when you recognize that they were so valuable that Christ laid down his life so that they could live. Christ determined their value at his own life. We begin to recognize that they are valuable and worthy to be loved. You know, what's funny is we read that we're supposed to not recognize people according to the flesh. But the truth is that we always tend to evaluate other people in their worst moments. But we tend to evaluate ourselves in our best. Anybody ever done that? Just me? You know, sometimes I think we need to remember that we weren't always the models of spiritual and moral excellence that we are today. We need to remember that especially as people that are growing in the Lord, that are coming up and, and they're, they're still working out their own salvation, as they're still growing up and learning who they are in Christ. We need to remember that we once, once went through that as well. And show them love and patience and grace and mercy as they're growing. Like we've, we've heard before that as they grow in maturity, we're supposed to grow in love. You know, I look around at the people around me and the people in the body of Christ. And it's so easy to get jaded. It's so easy to look at, at their flaws and failures. But then I'm overwhelmed with Christ's sacrifice in my own life and in their lives. I'm overwhelmed with the, the price that was paid. And how can I treat somebody as less? How can I think of somebody in such a, a way when Christ gave everything for them. If you were the only person that would have ever been touched, Christ would have still died. He would have still gone to the cross because you were worth that much. You were that valuable. Some of you may not have even been told you're valuable. Some of you may have lived your whole life thinking that you're not worth anything, that you're not worthy of anything, that you're you know, you're lower than, it, than, than the ground. You're like the worms in the earth. And, you know, people go say all kinds of stuff to themselves as they, as they don't think they're worthy. But I want you to know that you are worthy because Christ made you that way. You are valuable because Christ gave his life for you. And because of that, we need to make sure that we're expressing to one another the value that we really have. Next, please. In Luke 17, 3-4, it says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. This is a tough one for me because usually if someone tells me they're sorry, first couple times, that's actually not hard for me to forgive them. I can keep going forth, but how many, after a, after a while, you're like, yeah, I'm fed up with this. I'm done with this. I'm done forgiving you because every time I forgive you, you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. This is, this is tough because Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, but if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. 
That means that no matter how many times somebody messes up, as long as they have a repentant heart, and this is a, a, a truly repentant heart, not something that's just put on for show, but if, if they're really trying to grow, the Bible says the, wise, or the righteous man stumbles seven times, but gets back up seven times. If they're willing to get back up, we need to continue forgiving them and helping them grow. And here the seven times, you know, that doesn't sound too bad after the seventh time. In, in Jewish law, after the seventh time, they didn't have to forgive him anymore. They were done. You had seven, seven times to get it right, and then you were done. But we read in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it says, And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seven times seventy. Basically what Jesus is saying, seven times 70 is just this way of saying you do it as long as he keeps repenting and coming back. You don't stop. You continue to try to help your brother be redeemed. Well, I've, actually, I'm mistaken. Jewish repentance was, or forgiveness was limited to three times. You had three shots. And when Jesus said seven, they're like, seven? That's like four more than we already have to. And then Peter's trying to be a little religious. He's trying to be a little cocky and going, how often do I have to forgive him? Up to seven times? Look, look, Jesus, I'm, I'm doing it more than three. I'm being spiritual. But Jesus is like, no, nah, you need to do it seven times 70. Basically, don't stop forgiving people as long as they're going to come back, come back to you and ask for forgiveness and, and be repentant. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Now, let me make this clear, though. This doesn't mean forgiving somebody is completely different than letting yourself being walked on, letting yourself being abused or mistreated. I want to make this clear because you can forgive somebody but still remove yourselves from the situations that could cause these problems. If you're being abused or somebody's taking advantage of you in such a way that that you don't, basically you need to make sure, you, you need to forgive them because forgiveness is for you just as much as it is for the other person. But don't let yourself stay in a position where you're going to continually be walked on. Forgive them as many times as it takes, but don't keep yourself in a position that you have to keep forgiving them. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to say here? All right. Galatians 6, 1-2, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So right here we learn that, that we are called to restore our brothers. And how does it say to do it? In a spirit of gentleness. We're not supposed to kick each other down the hill every time we mess up, but we're supposed to, we don't point out each other's failures. You're not going to go, I can't believe you just lied. I can't believe you just did this sin, but instead go, you know what? I just want you to know that you are victorious over that thing that you're struggling with. I just want you to know that you are a brand new person, and those things that you used to do don't have to happen anymore because you've been made brand new. When somebody lets you down, when they tell you they're going to do something and they don't, you don't just point out how, how often that they've, they're failing, but explain to them, you know what, in Christ, you don't have to be that same person anymore. That's lifting somebody up. That's restoring somebody in a spirit of gentleness. Not pointing out their failures, but pointing out their victory in Christ. Pointing out what Christ has done inside of them. And then it says, each one looking to yourself, it says you too will not be tempted. 
You know, if you've, if you've got a, a problem with alcohol or if you've struggled with it in the past, you're not going to want to be doing ministry work down at the bar. Well, I'm just restoring my brother. He's he struggling with alcohol. I'm going down to restore him. The Bible says we need to look at ourselves so that we won't be tempted as well. If that's an area that you have difficulty with, probably a good idea to stay out of that area. But let's remember, let's, let's forgive one another and lift each other up. And let's do it in such a way that we want ourselves won't fall as well, but we'll be able to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ to the place that they should be in. Next, please. And Matthew 5, 23-24 says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. See, this is an interesting one because most of us are like, if I have something against somebody, I need to deal with it. And that's true. If, if you have a problem with somebody, you need to deal with it. But Jesus goes one step further and says, if you realize somebody has something against you, then you need to deal with it. You see, having a, an issue with your brother affects you and not just the other person. And we need to understand that if somebody has, got a, has something against you, that it is our responsibility to help to restore that person as well. It's our responsibility and love to look after their well-being just as much as ours. First be reconciled to your brother if you know they have something against you. We get lost for words. <laughs> Having that a lot today. You know, when we have stuff against one another, we don't recognize the damage that it's actually doing to, to ourselves. When, we, when we're not forgiving one another, you know, when you, when you can't forgive somebody, and when you can't make things right with somebody, it doesn't necessarily affect the other person. You know, and I'm, I'm re- recognizing as I'm reading this that if your brother has something against you, this is less about the person that has somebody have something against This is less about the person at the altar, but more about restoring your brother who has something against you. Because unforgiveness and anger can destroy you from the inside. You know, when you're, when you're upset at somebody, how many of the other person is never, not walking around going, I wonder if they're still upset with me? But it's in your heart that turmoil is brewing. As members of the body of Christ, we should be doing everything that we can be reconciled to one another so that we can live godly lives, that we can live in wholeness and not having anger and hatred in our heart, not having those things that can tear us down. Amen? All right. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. And Galatians 6.9-10 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who have the household of faith. We need to be building each other up at all times. That should be, when we're interacting with one another, that should be what is the most common thing out of our mouth, is encouraging one another. Letting people know that, you know, when somebody goes, oh man, I got a headache, encourage them. You know what? No, you're healed in the name of Jesus. When someone says, I'm struggling with somebody, say, you know what? You were forgiven in Christ and those things no longer have a hold over you. 
everything that we do with one another should be to build and encourage one another out of love to build each other up. This one right here, right before this verse, it's talking about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 discusses Christ's return. He says he's coming back like a thief in the night. And because, because of this, Paul wants us to encourage one another to be ready, to encourage one another to live a godly life, to, so that way when Christ comes back, he finds us and can say, well done, good and faithful servant, not just well done. You know, we want to we be in such a way that when Christ comes back, that we can say that we were serving him, that we were loving him, that we were honoring him. And it's our responsibility as believers to encourage one another to live that kind of life, to build each other up, to remind us of our victory in Christ and not tear each other down. And the truth is, relationships are hard work. Very hard work. With some people more than others. And it's very easy to give up on somebody. It's very easy to turn our back when somebody just doesn't seem to be getting it. When we're tired of dealing with the same issues over and over and over again. But the truth is that we should never give up, never lose heart in doing what is good for one another. Because the Bible says, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we continue pressing forward, we will reap. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of the faith. You know, it says we need to do good to all people, but he emphasizes the body of believers. We need to be doing good to one another. And the last scripture I want to look at today is 1 Peter 4, 8-9. through 9. It says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. See, Peter has been preaching the same thing that Paul's been preaching. You know, we find in the Bible that even people that, that weren't even working together are preaching the same thing because it's a, the, this is what Christ wants to be preached. And he's telling us to be fervent. That if not being fervent, the reason why he tells us these things, when you find something in the Bible... It's being told for a reason. The reason he's saying to keep fervent in our love for one another because the reality is it's all too easy to let it slip by the wayside. It's all too easy to become jaded and forget about it. But we need to, to be on guard. We need to take a stand and make the decision every day to show love to one another. And then he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. And I struggled with this a lot when I first read this verse because... As you've heard me preach for the past year, and you'll continue to hear me preach, I say that it was Christ that covered our sins. It was his perfect sacrifice that covered our sins. So how can love cover a multitude of sins if Christ already paid the penalty for those sins? If Christ paid it all, what does this have to do with anything? But then I recognize that what he's speaking about is not our forgiveness of sins, has nothing to do with our righteousness but what this does do is it allows us not to be offended. It covers the sin because people can sin against you and it's very easy to become offended unless you respond in love. It helps us to not become angry with somebody. It helps us not to become hurt if we can respond with love and, and recognize the love of Christ in them and in us. That's what he's saying, that it covers a multitude of sins. It allows us to stay strong as a body, to continue to love one another if we'll stay fervent in our love. But if we stop, 
And it's so easy to let some, what somebody does offend us and make us angry and put up a, a roadblock between us and God because we're so focused on this other thing. As believers in the body of Christ, love should be a natural response for us, a natural expression for us. It is a response to the, to the love that God showed us. Our natural response and expression back would be His love expressed through us towards others. It is an outpouring of the love that lives inside of us. Just like electricity flows through wires, God's love must flow through us into other people's lives. And how can we imitate Christ as we've been... Uh, told to do throughout the Bible, to imitate Christ. Paul said, imitate, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How can we imitate Christ without showing love when he is the one who, who expressed the greatest expression of love that's ever been expressed in the history of this world when he laid down his life so that we could be made whole, so that we could live. You know, if we'll just get ourselves out of the way and keep our eyes on Jesus following His commandment to love one another, this will all happen naturally. Because it's who we are as a people. We talk about the, the culture of Living Hope Family Church, and this is the, the culture that I want to instill in us, that we'd be a people who love one another. But truthfully, all these things, as we go through the culture of Living Hope Family Church, should be the culture of the body of Christ. So let's make a commitment to one another. Let's continue moving forward with a commitment to love one another, to express Christ's love towards one another because of the love that He showed towards us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.